invite you now at this time to join me in your pew Bibles to page 1897 where we find our scripture reading tonight, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Starting the reading in verse 14. Here now the reading of God's word. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. A group of students at Harvard once tried to fool the famous professor of zoology, Agassiz. So they took parts from a number of different bugs and with great skill and determination attached them together to make a creation they were sure would baffle their teacher. And on the chosen day, they brought it to him and asked that he identify it. And as he took a little magnifying glass and he inspected it with great care, the students grew more and more sure they had finally tricked their professor, this genius. Finally, Professor Agassiz straightened up and said, I have identified it. And scarcely able to control their amusement, they asked its name. And the professor replied, it is a humbug. You see, a person with genuine life from God will detect the counterfeit. And they'll say, humbug. So, we're talking about that tonight because that's the way Peter wraps up his letter. He wants to wrap up his letter with these final words of encouragement, these final words of what it's going to take to be a Christian in the last days, to be a Christian who walks out their faith faithfully and carries it out to the end. And this is what he says. To stand against false teachers we must be on guard and grow in grace and shockingly our two points are be on guard And grow in 
grace. Be on guard and grow in grace. Let's look at this first point coming from verse 17. We have here that very important word, therefore, and as I have said many times before, and my Sunday school teacher growing up in in, uh, church used to say to me, if you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is it therefore, okay? What's interesting about this therefore is that in a very real sense, this therefore relates to the entirety of Peter's letter, 2 Peter, all the way up. And to this point. Therefore, in a very real sense, as Peter saying, um, because I have said all this other stuff, here, let me show you how I'm going to summarize this. Let me show you how I'm going to point to it. So I'd like to take note of a few things that Peter has said up until this point that might be included in order to give what he's closing his letter here with a bit more context, a bit more understanding, a bit more emphasis, okay? The first thing that Peter did was he opened his letter by encouraging us as believers to make one's calling and election sure. He said in verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control to perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, all may all be eager to make sure your calling and election are sure. Make sure that you are living the Christian life out. Make sure that you are not only justified, but you are truly united to Christ. And an example, an illustration of that is the fruit coming out of your life through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And Peter then says, I want to give you some tools for this sanctifying work, this tool to add these things to your faith, right? And he points to Scripture. What is Scripture, right? And, and how we're called to look at Scripture, the prophecy of Scripture, and how we're supposed to think of Scripture and dwell on Scripture and, and look to what it is. It's a revelation of God, right? It's a revelation of God in Jesus Christ. So look to the Scriptures if you want to. Add to your faith these things. Add to your faith these fruits, right? But then Peter turns in his letter to address, really, in essence, what he spends the rest of his second letter on. And that is the reality of false teachers. He says, just as there were false prophets among the people in Israel of the Old Testament, there are going to be false teachers among you. 
Paul met with the Ephesian elders. He said, there are going to be people who come amongst you as wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to lead others astray. And Peter is giving you this same warning. He's saying to his people, the people he's writing to, these are these false teachers. They're going to come in. And this is how I want you to know them. I want you to be able to identify them. I want you to be able to pinpoint them to show uh, and, and know uh, their characteristics, their qualities, so that you can identify them, Right? And he gives, in, in, in the second um, chapter of this letter, a, a large description of all this um, reality of false teachers. And he connects this, this concept of the subject of, of false teachers to the reality of the day of the Lord that's coming, the day of judgment that's coming. Uh, he knows that these false teachers are storing up judgment for them, that they're going to have to face the God that they have abused, the God's, God's word that they have twisted, and, and the God's people that they have led astray. And, and, and so he talks about scoffers, and he talks about these people who say the end of the world is not really going to come. Christ is not going to come again to judge the living and the dead. But he says, I want you... To not lose heart. I want you to be aware. I want you to be ready. I want you to be sober-minded. I want you to be prepared for the day of the Lord that is to come. And I want you to know that the way that you're called to live out life is to be aware of these false teachers while at the same time aware that Christ is going to come again to judge the living and the dead. Christ is going to come again to judge these false teachers. And you got to live your life before that reality. So then he says, therefore, dear friends, therefore, dearly beloved, since you already know this, since you already know all this that I have talked about, since you already know all these realities, since you already know all this because you have the same spirit that I have, and since you already know all this because I trust that the God that, that is um, with you is the God that is teaching me, since you already know this, be on guard. Be on guard against all these things that I have sought to teach you about. All these things that I have sought to warn you about. Be on guard. So that you may not be carried away. By the error of lawless men. And fall from your position. Peter wrote this letter because he wants his audience, he wants the people he's writing to, to be prepared when battle comes. To not be ignorant of the fact that there are, there are people out there who are seeking to deceive you who are seeking to lead you astray from the Lord, who are saying, this is the way you're supposed to follow Christ, but the Christ that they follow is not Christ at all. Be on your guard. Be aware. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Be alert. When I hear Peter say, be on your guard, I think a lot about the, um, the parable that Jesus taught uh, uh, of the, the ladies that were waiting for the bridegroom to come 
And some of the ladies, they were prepared, weren't they? They were ready. And so they had their lamps. They had plenty of of fuel in their lamps. But some of them, they weren't. And so they had to run out to the market and they had to get more uh, more fuel for their lamps, more uh, more oil for their lamps. And, and, And when they came back, they realized that the bridegroom had come and the door was locked. The time was up. And, what, and what's Jesus' lesson, right? The lesson is be prepared. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. And, and Peter is given the same lesson. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to be on our guards, so that we're not carried away by the error of lawless men. What he's referencing here is all the false teachers that he was talking about throughout this letter. All the scoffers who said things are going on just as they've always gone on. Those who are seeking to catch you unawares. To catch you off your guard. And to turn you in a different direction. You're to be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of lawless men. Paul talks about in his letters, the importance of being firmly planted in your faith and not being carried away by every wave of doctrine. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about being open-minded. You need to be open-minded. Right? And really, the word open-minded is sort of a catchphrase for saying, you really should just be okay with whatever, right? You should be okay with people expressing themselves in, in all kinds of different ways. You should be okay with this and with that. You should be more open-minded. That's a positive quality, Right? Well, G.K. Chesterton once said, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. But Christians, Christians, we're not supposed to be open-minded if it means that we don't have convictions. We don't have beliefs. You can say, yeah, yeah, I'm open-minded about trying a new dish. I'm open-minded about seeing if I might like sushi, even though I didn't like it before. But I'm not open-minded about whether Jesus Christ is the Son of God and is both human and divine. I'm not open-minded about that. Right? I might be open-minded about whether or not I like Coke more than I like Pepsi. Personally, Dr. Pepper. But I'm not open-minded about what God's intended sexual roles are for men and women and and for marriage and and all those kinds of things. I'm not open-minded about that because that's in God's Word. Right? That's what God's Scriptures teach us. So Peter here, you could say, in a sense, is saying, be closed-minded about what God has said in his word. 
grab on to that. Cling to that. Because when the error of lawless men come and seek to pull you from your secure position, you can say, that's not what God's word says. That's not what the Bible says. No, I'm not open-minded about that. That's not what the scriptures say. That's not what God's word teaches. Right? And when Peter here says, fall from your secure position, he's not saying that you lose your salvation. Because he's already talked about how you have been chosen, you have been given everything that you need, you have been bought with the price in, in, in all of this, and especially in First Peter, he talks about how you're a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, right? Uh, so Peter understands what it means, right, um, to be elect, to be um, redeemed by Christ. But Peter also knows what it feels like to fall from your secure position, right? He was at one time at the side of Christ, Christ's right-hand man. And Christ warned him, he said, Peter, Satan has, has requested to, to, to sift you like sand. But I am praying for you. Peter, I want you to know that before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Lord, I, that, that will never happen, Lord. What are you talking about, Lord. I don't know what you're talking about. I never knew the guy. But you sound like a Galilean. You got that hick accent. Nope, I, ne- I don't know. I, I've nev- I don't know this guy. No, I don't know this guy. And then the rooster crows, right? And Peter wept bitterly. Do you think that in that moment, Peter doesn't know what it feels like to fall from your secure position? That is in that moment... He lost the sense that he was loved by Christ, that he was chosen by Christ, that he was redeemed by Christ. He knows what that feels like, and he doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want that for the people he's writing to. He doesn't want you to lose your sense calling of election because you've listened to the error of lawless men you've listened to those who are pursuing their fleshly desires they're going after these things and they're cloaking it with religious language he doesn't want you to lose sight of what the Christian life really is about so be on guard be on guard that you may stand against the error of lawless men that you may remain in your secure position. The canons of Dort talk about this. They say you cannot ultimately fall from your position of grace, but there is a sense in which if your sin points you away from the presence of God, you can lose his fatherly pleasure. You can lose the sense that his face is shining upon you. You can even begin to feel that you're separated from God. And outside of his loving embrace. But that's not God. That's you. That's your choice. 
That's your pursuit of sin. So be on guard, if you wish, to stand against false teachers. If you wish to be a Christian that lives in the end days, in the end times, alert, sober-minded, be on guard. That way you can determine who are all the humbugs. Grow in grace. You see, it's not only a negative uh, statement that Peter is saying, be on guard, right? But it's also a positive. Uh, This is is the two-step battle plan that Peter is giving to the people he's writing to, to Christians today. It's not only be alert, be on guard, but also um, grow, right? Grow. And we're going, growing in the grace and knowledge. You're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. This is what um, people call bookends. In uh, verse 2, in Peter's introduction in this letter, he says, Simon Peter, a servant apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received the faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Look what he says in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, what? Knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. This, uh, this emphasis, right, on knowledge. Verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This emphasis on knowledge, grace and knowledge. What what is Peter getting at here with this emphasis on, on knowledge? Well, he's saying that there is an intimate connection uh, between what we know about Christ and how we feel towards Christ. There's an intimate connection between what we know about Christ and how we feel towards Christ. What we know about Christ and how we know Christ, Christ feels towards us. Right? Uh, I may have told you this story before, but back when I was in my ministry um, and in Rensselaer serving at that church, there was this um, sort of revival evangelism event that came to the area, and the whole county was uh, involving themselves in this um, 
in this uh, sort of revival, evangelistic, outreach type thing. And uh, there are lots of churches, churches from Rensselaer, churches from DeMont, churches from Whitfield, churches from the whole Jasper County area who were gathering together and making this commitment to, to go out and to interact with people and to share them the gospel. And the, and the, the sort of gospel presentation that was being used was sort of like the Romans Road type of gospel presentation where you, you bring them through these passages in the book of Romans that sort of leads them to their understanding that they're sinners and that Jesus is the, the Savior and so on and so forth. So, you know, I'm thinking this is like a net positive thing. You know, this is going to be good because uh, the gospel is going, is going to get out there. Um, and so uh, uh, one of the days we're sort of gathering as all these different churches at one of these churches and, um, and we're coming together and, and there's this guy who's coming from this organization and basically what he's saying uh, is sort of training us and preparing us for, um, for going out and doing this evangelism work. And, um, and because these things are, this thing is, is, is emphasizing so much the unity of all these Christian believers. You know, we've got Pentecostal churches there. We've got um, Christian churches there. We've got Reformed churches there. We've got all kinds of different kinds of church backgrounds there, right? And this guy is uh, wanting to sort of emphasize that you know, we're, all, we're all united in this. We're all unified in this, right? And so he says, listen, listen, if we're going to go out there and we're going to reach people for Christ, we have to stop being so divisive. We have to stop being so split up. And, and that's, that does not, that's not attractive to people who are in the world. So this is what I need you to do. I need you to take off your theology hat and put on your Jesus hat. That's what he said, right? I need you to take off your, your theology hat. And I need you to put on your Jesus cap. We're all going to wear our Jesus cap because when we all wear our Jesus cap, then we're unified. We're united, right? And the cynic that I am, I look to the person next to me and I say, which Jesus? Because you can't split theology up from Jesus. Because the moment you start talking about Christ, you have to start asking questions like, who is Christ? Who is he as a person? Is Christ just a, um, is he just the son of God, the brother of Satan? Because then you're the Mormon Jesus. Is Christ a little bit lower than God? So he is a lowercase g, but he is like the firstborn, first created being. So now you're the Jehovah's Witness Jesus, right? Or is Christ the Son of God, second person of the Holy Trinity, incarnated through Mary... Holy God, holy human, the hypostatic union, lived, died, resurrected, ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Because then you're talking about the Christian Jesus. 
And the more theology that you infuse into the Jesus that you're talking about, the more you know Jesus, the more you love Jesus, the more you know what Jesus has done for you. So you can't settle for generic Jesus cap because that Jesus is nothing. He's your boyfriend. He's fluff. He's, he, who is he? Right? You're agreeing with me, right? Amen. So when Peter's saying, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he's saying the more that you know about Jesus, the more that you search the scriptures and look at the, what the prophets said about Jesus, the more you read the gospels in new way and you see the way that Jesus interacts with people who are outcasts, the way you see Jesus interact with the religious elites who are hip, hip, hypoc- hypocritical, hypocrites. The more you see what Jesus goes through and the anguish that he experiences on the cross, the more you see what Jesus does when he speaks to his friends and restores them. The more you know about Jesus, the more you feel towards Jesus. The more you know how Christ feels toward you. the more you grow in grace. Growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is something that goes hand in hand. It's not just that we should fill our heads with all kinds of information. It's not just that we should read nothing but theology books But it is that if you are a born-again Christian and you read about Christ, you read theology about him, you read the scriptures about him, it should affect your heart, not just your head. So what you learn in your head should reach your heart And because it reaches your heart, it goes out through your hands. Because you know who Christ is for you. You know who Christ is for you. And you know who Christ can be for others. You know how you can be Christ. For others. The two-part strategy in the battle of the Christian life is to be on guard against all the false teaching, to be on guard against all the deception and the lies, right? But it's also, in the positive sense, to continue to grow up as a Christian, to mature as a Christian. To seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And to top it all off, Peter ends with a doxology. He ends with this praise. And of course we could say that this summarizes everything. 
that he's said before and he's given praise for it. But lest we think that the Christian life is sort of a legalistic journey about pulling ourselves up from our, by our bootstraps and working hard um, to do what it is that we're called to do as Christians, to be on guard and to do what we're supposed to do so that we can grow in grace and knowledge. Um, Peter wants us to know that all these things, they are to the glory of God. And because we give glory to God for them, then we, we do one thing. We acknowledge. That we are not the source of these things. They're not from us. To Christ we say to him be glory both now and forever. And when we say to him be uh, glory both now and forever, we're saying the grace that we are growing in is grace that is given to us. The knowledge that we are growing in is knowledge that is being given to us, being revealed to us. This is something in which we are dependent upon God as we seek to put one foot in front of the other. As we strive forward, we're also acknowledging the fact that God is the one who has given us the energy. He is energizing us to move. Our foot, one foot in front of the other. God is the one moving us. God is the one giving us all of this. All of this. And this is exactly what Peter confessed at the beginning of this letter. When he proclaimed that God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith all these things. Because you know that it is God working in you, what is pleasing to him, Make every effort to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what Paul says also. Because you know it is God working in you. Work out knowing God is doing it. We are called, yes, in the Christian life to be on guard and to grow in grace and knowledge. But all the same, we declare that Christ is the one who deserves all the glory for now and forevermore. Because Christ is the one who accomplished this work and who is finishing this work. And so we give him the credit. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word of admonition and encouragement. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us all this in your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.